bitch today, so. <laughs> we are live. Welcome to Just Two Dads. Um, for anyone that's uh, tuning in with us, we don't have anybody on just yet, but uh, we thank those of you for uh, watching that join us each week. As you know, if you are if you have seen us before, it's just what it says. It's just two dads talking about uh, different perspectives on what it's like to raise children uh, with special needs. And very often we come from a dad's perspective, but we try not to be locked in there. Um, and today we have a, an amazing guest who is a fellow special needs warrior. And her name is Georgiana Junko Kelman. Georgiana, hello and welcome. Hi, Hi there. thanks for having me. Well, today you're two dads, just two dads and a lawyer today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Two dads and a lawyer. That's what the episode is. <laughs> That's it. That's so before we, um, kind of get started and you know jump into your services and you know what we do uh, what you do I, what I'd like to do is at least start off with uh, your story what led you to uh, doing what you do I know that um, it's related to your uh, your son and his diagnosis as well but still even in that situation it takes a special individual to do what you do why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and how you got to that point and a little bit about your path Sure. So, yeah, I had absolutely no intent whatsoever of um, traveling down the special education path. In fact, I had no idea what special education was, special education law. And many of us that are traveling down this path as attorneys in this area of the law is because we've, we've been personally impacted. My son was born um, perfectly fine. And within eight weeks or so, we discovered he was born with a brain malformation, which was discovered as a result of seizures, um, very catastrophic type seizures that were, were literally frying his brain. Long story short, uh, after lots of research and opinions, um, we've been told he needed to have his left brain removed because he wouldn't really be able to develop because the malformation which was causing the seizures is, was basically frying his brain, which meant he wouldn't have a chance to develop. And so we went to all over America looking for opinions and searching um, what to do because we had conflicting opinions. Some doctors said, don't touch the brain, let's do medications. Others said, let's, let's do the surgery immediately. Long story short, we opted for medication and opted um, to wait for the surgery. He is one in a million cases where the seizures didn't return. He never needed the surgery, and which meant he now had a chance to develop. But because of the malformation, he has global developmental delays. He's got physical disabilities. He's got you know severe processing disorders, language disorders. But um, he's an amazing kid who just turned 18. And he's been fully included in his education from day one, which is how I started this journey with him. I learned very quickly, very early on in my journey with him, how difficult this road is for parents and how little information parents are actually given. Everything I learned um, was through blood, sweat, and tears of finding it out because nobody told me. And I was fortunate enough to come across people in my journey that were able to guide me. And so that guidance inspired me to help others. Long story short, I pivoted from a criminal defense um, career and started sort of helping families organically. Next thing I know, I kind of organically developed a law practice. And 15 years later, here I am in my, I would say my main mission, um, one of my main missions in what I do is full inclusion for our kiddos, um, for them to be seen for who they are, to not be limited, to not be you know, placed in very restrictive settings without the opportunity of exposure to their social social typical peer models. As we know that that social environment, that interaction is crucial for our kids' social skills development. And so that's mm -hmm. how I 
my path is they tried to pigeonhole my kid and I, I, I knew there was so much more potential to him. And in my own path, I discovered that absolutely full inclusion is a thing. Um, although oftentimes parents aren't told that it's an option for kids like ours. And so that is how I ended up in the road that I'm on at the moment. It's been 18 years. He just turned 18 this summer and he's in high school. He's a senior in high school. Wow. How deep into criminal defense were you at the time of his diagnosis? As deep as you can get. Um, I worked for a criminal defense firm for seven years and then I took some time off um, to figure out, you know, my son needed me and um, I left, um, I stopped practicing for a little bit of time, sort of. My husband has a criminal defense practice. My time is still kept my toes wet. I kept working with him because I was the kind of mom that I still needed an outlet. You know what I mean? As moms, we tend to become fully absorbed in our life and in our children and sometimes we forget about ourselves. So when I could, I would still kind of dabble and, and keep myself a little busy outside of this very daunting world with my son that I was in. It's very difficult to do that, but I tried. Anyhow, long story short, I was actually asked by Johnny Cochran's office at the time to start the criminal, the Hispanic criminal division. So I, I was at, a, this, at this crossroads in my life where I was either going to go to the sure thing, which would have been very lucrative and, um, you know, it would have been exactly what I had gone to law school for. Or I now had an opportunity to help families having no clue where that would go. Um, but it was clear to me my calling was to help special needs families to be able to impart the knowledge that I learned. And because there's a certain gravitas that comes along with the personal experience that you have, I apply my experience to my clients. And so it's a really easy litmus test for me in this determining whether or not my clients are getting what they need. I apply my own example and I ask myself the question, is this good enough for my kid? That is a really fast yes or no. And I know right away, this isn't enough. And so I keep going. And I just, I felt the calling. I knew that this was the right thing to do. It was the right path to go on. And it's been the most fulfilling, wonderful, amazing journey um, that I've taken in, in my life. And I don't regret a second of it. Wow, wow. So you answered my next question without me even having to ask it, which was, and this is- I told you I talk a lot. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, I told you I talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's more than okay. That's okay. It's one thing to talk a lot. It's another thing to talk a lot and add value and you're doing both. So thank you thank so you. much. But I was going to ask you about, we try to make sure that we're touching on things that blanket special needs and beyond that just deal with people, touch the spirit and the soul, because whether we're divided by political views, especially now, uh, race, religion, whatever the case is, we have to pay so much attention to the things that we have in common versus otherwise. And so we want to make sure that we do that here. And one of the things that has a universal theme is a person finding their purpose. I was going to ask you, but you already answered it, which was, you know, when you get to the crossroads and your purpose is there, you know, for some people, it's kind of difficult to step into. But when you're put in a situation where you're advocating advocating for for your child, it's um, it seems like it, you know, it, it's a no brainer. And you already already touched on some of that. And I think that for some parents, especially that are raising someone with special needs, you know, we're going to talk about the services you offer and education and things like that, because even with the services that Brian and I provide with regard to financial education, again, we don't know. Um, we can't fight for what we are entitled to if we don't know that it's available or what those rights are. Right. So I want to touch on that. But right. the, the value of finding a purpose, I know there's got to be a lot of parents out there that have no idea what their calling is or found it and left it to the side 
to raise their child depending on what their disability might be. So before we get into your services and everything, what do you have to say to someone that's trying to find their purpose and their cause and maybe even trying to just help their kids survive and be able to thrive and maybe find their own purpose eventually? It was this voice. Um, it was a pulling. It was almost gravitational where I was at this juncture where I could pursue a path, like I said, that was probably pretty lucrative and a sure thing. And mind you, this was back in 2007, 2008, when, you know, the economy wasn't the best. And so it was a, it was a difficult decision for me because I knew here we are in a, in a, in a basically a sure thing is what I was being assured of. Or I was going to take my chances with what felt completely natural to me, although not a guarantee, obviously financially, I was starting a brand new law practice. And, you know, that's a very big gamble, especially at a very uncertain time financially in this country. But to me, it was a calling. It was, uh, it was almost just inherent. I knew that this was the right thing to do. I felt almost an obligation because mm. I, I, I feel like I was given certain gifts um, in terms of the path I was on, I was able to encounter, luckily, so many people that guided me left or right. But for certain people in my path, I don't think, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have gotten to where I got as, as fast as I did in terms of learning what the right services were, what the right, you know, what the available uh, supports and services and placements were for my son because I wasn't guided by my district. I wasn't told, here are all your options. You know, let's discuss all of them. Let's see best for your child. That doesn't happen. Doesn't Hence why sense. I've been in the nope. for many, many years. Um, I'm gainfully employed for a reason is why I always say they don't tell you this. And so oftentimes you have to rely on that community that's already walked your path. And um, I felt that I had met so many wonderful people that helped me, that gave me this light, and that now I needed to impart that on others. I felt an obligation to now help mm -hmm. so many families that were walking that similar path. And so for me, it was an inner calling. It was an inner voice. It wasn't a question. I needed to, you know, I needed to sort of uh, overlook the logical because sometimes, you know, your logical mind tells you this is what you're supposed to do, but your heart right. got you. Mm, you know what? No, I, I'm. This is not my. This isn't what I'm. I'm being pulled to do. And for me, it was this feeling of this is what I'm meant to do, and also. I have an obligation to help other families. I almost felt like that. If, right. But for me, I'm going to be, you know, certain families aren't going to get what they need to get, and it's going to change their lives. Um, mm -hmm. And it's the most rewarding. There's nothing more incredibly rewarding to be able to have a career um, where I can impact the life of a child that otherwise, but for our interaction, perhaps would have had a very different outcome. Um, so that's my right. moral level and one of the reasons why I chose it. We find that wow. to be very okay. similar in the work so that. So tell us. That, go ahead, Brian, go ahead. Sorry, this is it's the same kind of experience that Sean and I have. We work in the area of, of finances, and we know that so many families just don't have access to, you know, the kinds of financial products and services that, by the way, are made available, but but nobody talks to, you no, know, the average middle American family, right? And so uh, we feel the same. So we're we're kindred spirits when it comes to that. Friends, uh, two two sides of the same coin. So I love that you're doing that work. That's amazing. Good. But I'm sorry that interrupted you. No, it's okay. I was going to ask you, so kind of twofold. Tell, because some people that have been watching from the very beginning are still trying to figure out, okay, exactly what do you do where education is concerned? Um, and so the first one is tell our audience exactly what services you provide 
And then the other thing is, you know, if my child is given a diagnosis of some kind, um, some kind of um, developmental disability or something like that, your services or uh, the need probably doesn't even come in until the child is of age where they're going to go to school. Is that one, is that fair to say? And then two, if you can go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about what you, what you provide and quite frankly, without just directly promoting what you do, just from an honest standpoint, if someone doesn't turn to someone like you, what are their options? You know, I'm going to be, I'm about to say something that's pre probably pretty grim and I'm not saying it to try and, um, procure business. Trust me, I'm busy. But I, there was a time when I used, you know, I did a lot of webinars and I do speaking engagements and I would always tell families, listen, educate yourselves, learn all that you can, know your rights when they give you the procedural guidelines, read them so you can empower yourself and you know what process to follow. Even if you can hire an attorney, you empower yourself with knowledge and you pursue this road on your own and you be relentless about it. And in my experience, where we are today and what I have seen over the years, I now tell the families, lawyer up. I mean, that's just the reality. And I step based on my experience from families that come to me and I see the history of where they've been and I see how poorly served their children have been, intentionally so. You know, I believe that administrators and teachers, they're well intended, you know, but they are working within a very limited framework. And oftentimes, for many reasons, not the least of which is budgetary constraints. They're given marching orders as to what to offer. And so oftentimes right. the reality is children are offered the bottom of the barrel. I can give you an example of a particular um, blue ribbon school in area that is notorious for violating child fine laws. Child fine means that if there's a suspicion that a child has a disability impacting learning, districts have a legal responsibility to find, identify, and assess that child to determine whether or not that child qualifies for special education services. That is a legal obligation. Right. Parents don't have to prove, and this is what's so crucial for families to know this because they're misled about this all the time. Parents don't have to prove that their child has a disability impacting learning. The law only requires a suspicion that something's afoot and the student should probably be assessed to determine whether or not there's a need. Some kids are assessed and determined they're not qualified, so then you go off to a 504 plan. That happens a lot, though, unlawfully, where they should be qualified, but the parent is instead offered a 504 plan. Um, I've seen that many times. Or they start with a 504 plan when they should have assessed, and it's clear that it's beyond what can be done to assist the child is beyond accommodations. But what mm -hmm. is crucial to know is that a district has that responsibility, and I'm dealing with, with these sort of affluent schools, you would think it would be the opposite, you know, in certain areas that are rejecting families left and right when they come to you in first grade and second grade and third grade. My child can't read. My child is struggling. And they continually kick the can down there. Let's do an SSPT, which is, you know, the student study team, which is an informal intervention. And I can tell you in my situation, what I've seen nine times out of 10, those don't work. You're way beyond that where the child has to be assessed. But they're repeatedly, repeatedly told no, no, no. The family finds me. They come to me. We don't, that's what family finally, you know, some families finally are so exhausted from trying to, you know, explain that their child has a problem. Everyone is saying their child has a problem, but the teachers aren't referring the student for special education assessments for whatever. The administrators are saying, no, we have to do all these things first. Not true. 
this is when they come and hire a lawyer and I send my letter saying there's a clear indication that this child needs to be assessed, the child gets assessed immediately. I can't tell you how many times parents come to me and say, oh my God, I've been asking for this for three years. I've been saying this, I've been saying this. And parents' requests get ignored. And so sadly, that is when I tell families, consult an attorney, when you just, you're banging your head against the wall constantly and your child's time is being lost. There's a window that's going to close, especially with kids that have dyslexia, for example, you know, mm -hmm. in any disorder, autism, you know, the soonest you can identify a child with autism, the best the outcome long-term will be right. for that child, every yeah. aspect of need for that child. And so often families just, they don't know and they're misled and they're told, you know, things that aren't true and families get frustrated and I have families that come to me crying, mothers that say, oh my God, I didn't know. I'm like, well, how could you know? And, and there's a lot of guilt in that. I wasted all this time. Well, you you were misled and you believed people. And I tell parents, there's just a gut feeling that you, you have. I always say that. When all else fails, what is your gut telling you? Find a way to knock down those doors because your gut isn't wrong. If you think there's something wrong with your kid, there likely is. When my child was six weeks old and he was having this kind of jerky movements, and like, oh, what is that? We went to, to the pediatrician three times and each time we were told, no, it's this, it's that. You're, you know. My child had brain malformation, was having massive seizures. But as a parent, I knew, even though I was told it's okay, I wanted to believe that, right? Like we want to believe, okay, we're being told, yeah. okay, we don't need this. You want to believe that as a parent, but that gut, that voice inside of you is never wrong. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow, that's something else. Yeah, I, I, um, mean, I, I think parents, you know, as they go through these experiences when they're when their children, when they suspect something, and it's funny, I, I don't want to be stereotypical, but you know, I think the way that men and women approach this can be can follow along stereotypical lines. Right, so to real. your point, to your no, point, you're, right. you're like you're a mom, you're like oh, I'm like my whole life is around this child, and men are like oh, I'm gonna go throw myself into work, and, and you know. And, Right. I mean, you're being hypervigilant. It's fine. Relax. You're a new mom. You're just being too emotional. It's okay. I know yeah. something is telling me that something's off and I was but, right all along. But then when we go to talk to, to the schools and we go talk to administrators or we go talk to our pediatrician, they say, Oh, you know, you're just, you're, it's fine. It's normal. It's okay. You go to the school and they say there's nothing wrong or, or there are limitations to what we can provide. Families go, well, okay, well, you know, what do we, what do we do now? And to your point, um, they, you know, some will take on that role of being an advocate. I mean, I think we all want to be advocates for our children, no matter where they fall, even if they're neurotypical. Um, but, but, you know, once we're, our heads, we kind of bang our heads against the wall and we feel to your point in our gut, there's some issue here. We need to be able to go someplace and, and find answers and find resources. And then hopefully, find somebody that provides the kind of service that you provide. I know for our family, we we found an advocate that, that helped to give us some guidance and, and lead us on that path. You know, I tell families, really a simple place to start, even when, when you're you're agitated and you're upset and you feel like, you know, there's information you're not they're not giving you and they're ignoring you, ask for your parents' rights. You know, worst case scenario, even if they're denying your your special education assessment, say, you know what, can I get the booklet? with the parents' rights and procedural guidelines that I, I know that you have and start right. there. And that will show you, wait a minute, there's all of these things that they need to do. And at least now you've empowered yourself with that language. Wait a minute, you say that you're not gonna assess my child, but right here it says, all we have to do is show that my child has to have a suspected disability. I think he does and here's why. Why aren't you assessing? And then, you know, ultimately you're gonna end up potentially appealing things. 
you want to document everything. I always tell families that always document the rejections. You know, if you're emailing, it's probably the best way to do things is get it all in an email um, because ultimately you're going to end up going to fight for that which you were denied for a long time. And so it's important to start there, at least know what your basic rights are so you know which road to take next and whether you have to see a lawyer. Or, you know, you want to document things properly because ultimately, in my experience, families end up with attorneys because they have no other option. And that is sadly the only language they respond to is, you know, the one that involves legal threats. That's just yeah. the sad reality of it. Like in anything in life, so, you know, sad. So that's the second time. That's the second time you answered my next question without me asking it. <laughs> well, so obviously you're clairvoyant too. But because I was gonna ask, where does where does one begin? So you have a child, you go to school, there is no diagnosis. You begin with um, thinking maybe something's wrong or whatever. You mentioned that um, you start with with the rights because those things are given um, at, a, at an IAP. So where does where does that uh, process come in? Because to be honest with you, I'm, my memory's foggy trying to figure out IEPs have become just such a way of life for us now that I don't even remember when the right. first one came. You know, came about getting ready for it. But I do right. I do remember feeling so unprepared and feeling like. You know, I think we were really lucky because I think what happened is it, it was presented to us and it, it just seemed to me that, you know, we should probably take this home and look at it, look at it. And then, you know, we'll get back to you. And the district right. was very supportive of that. And now and, it, and if we had been in a school district that was going to lean on us a little bit and said, well, we need to have you sign those today. I don't know. Might have been able to have been taken advantage of. So where do um, what are your thoughts on that in, in the direction that, that happens a lot. You know, I always tell families, take your time. Nothing has to happen this second. And so once you've gotten past the assessment process and now that you're, let's say, your initial IEP meeting, that is one of the most overwhelming, daunting experiences. Because oftentimes you walk into a room and there are like 10 people there, depending on, you know, the level of need that the child has. My IEP meeting usually has like 20 people in it. Um, and wow. one thing, one of the one of the crucial things for you to do is obviously obtain as much information as you can so that you can meaningfully participate and offer your feedback and your, you know, your your contribution to what you as a parent think best for your child. Because ultimately, I don't care how many experts are in the room, nobody knows that child like you do. And so right. after you've gotten past the initial assessment, you know, again, if, if they keep telling you they're not going to assess, you, you want to align with your teacher. Go to your teacher. Okay, you're telling me that my child keeps struggling. My, child's are getting, my child is getting ones and twos and not meeting goals and, like, you know, the devil's not performing at benchmark levels. And so gather all that information that you can. And don't just wait for your teacher to do something. You take all of that information that is showing your child is struggling and go straight to your administrator and put, put it in writing. Here are all my child's struggles. This, 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 and this is happening. I've, I've done the research. I believe you have a responsibility to at least look closer and assess and see whether there's something here that is warranting an IEP and special education services. And so keep banging on that door. Hopefully they will respond and they will formally assess your child. And Hopefully you have a te you know teachers that tend to align with you and they tend to be your ally and you really need your teacher's push. You know, ask your teachers, can you please ask the administrator to 
assess. Like, if you recommend that based on the deficit that you're seeing and the struggles that this child might need an IEP, they tend to listen to teachers. So teachers can play a really crucial role here in making sure that the district does what it's supposed to do. Sadly, teachers are given marching orders not to, though. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen that all too many times over the years. I have teachers calling me off the record to say things to me. And, you know, I my opinion is obviously my, that of my clients. That is the parents' interest. There's no alliance with anybody here. You know, if a teacher tells me, look, I think your child is struggling and needs an IEP, I'm a little bit, please don't say, I told you that's off the record. There's no off the record. I'm going to go to my administrator and say, look, my teacher told me this. So oftentimes teachers want to help, but they feel constrained and they're given these orders, you know, to ask the parent to try all these things before, before they try an IEP. And parents, you know, tend to, to listen to that. But once you're professional and you do get the assessments, you know, I always tell families, always ask for your reports ahead of time. Your IEP meeting, especially your first one, like I said, is such an overwhelming meeting. And sometimes you still haven't even come to terms with, you know, all of this, these new developments about your child's disabilities or deficits. And it's very scary. So you're processing that to begin with. Like, oh, my God, what just happened? My child is... You know, he has autism or he just, he just got the autism diagnosis. Or, so you're dealing with all of that internal process of how to deal with, with life with my child in general, never mind school. And now you're dealing with, you know, hopefully maximizing what you can do to really be able to support your child. And your goal is to maximize your child's potential and ability to ultimately be successful in life as an independent contributing member of society one day. Um, and so that's school. That starts day one. And so when you go to these IEP meetings, before you go to your meetings, always, always, always ask for your reports ahead of time. You know how exasperating it is that you may have experienced it. I see this all the time with families. It happened to me. I didn't know. Um, my assessment for my child years ago, they did, I want to say, six different assessments. It was OT. It was PT. It was speech and language. It was social skills. Um, it was a psycho ed. It was academic assessments. All of that. So I walk into my IEP, there's like 15 people there, and I'm giving a mountain of paperwork. Here's all your reports. And then they go dive right into the findings. I'm like, wait, you know, it's so wrong because I don't know what they're saying. The language, as you know, is like, right. it's a whole language, the acronyms. Right. And I'm like, wait a minute. I literally was a stop. I have no idea what you're saying. I don't know what all of this is. I need, a, I need the time to review this so I can participate and I can contribute. I don't. I don't know what's happening. My husband and I both stopped the meeting. And right. you know, my husband had some choice words because it was so frustrating. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, and not only that, when I finally, I, I started to peruse through my psychoeducational assessment, I went straight to the summary to just kind of see what is the final outcome here. And I'm seeing, you know, a diagnosis that isn't correct. I'm seeing description of a kid that isn't mine. I'm seeing a different pronoun, she, all over the place. And I'm like, did anyone here really take the time to learn my child? Right. Or did you all just cut and paste from previous reports? Figure it's close enough, so let's just throw that in. Yeah. Sadly, that is the reality because oftentimes it's no one's fault per se. These people are so overwhelmed and under-resourced and they, right. they've got a caseload. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone per se, but because we know that is the reality of the world that we are in, you as a parent have an extra due diligence that you have to do. And sometimes you can make that easier on yourself by doing something simple as, hey, in writing, 
I want my reports before the IEP meeting. I want to be able to, you know, study them, understand what the findings are, so I can meaningfully contribute and meaningfully ask questions. Because as it is, the language is foreign to us. Ultimately, we get used to it, you know? It becomes right, right. Yeah, it becomes such a nature. But the initial process is such a daunting one. And yeah. I see too many families come to a lot of family come to me after their initial IEP meeting in tears. How can this be? How can they offer me this? And sadly, a lot of families can't afford to go to attorneys and, and they get intimidated right. by that. Right. I can't afford it. You know, many, many of us offer free consultations. Get to a lawyer. At the very least, get some answers and, and read and, and understand because my, my heart breaks for the families that go through this system repeatedly and the kids being passed from year to year and your child gets to the eighth grade and your child can't read or write. I see that all the time. I have a student right now with an off the charts IQ, off the charts IQ. He's a sophomore in high school. He can't read because he has severe dyslexia. They pass him from grade to grade. Parent was just told all of these, you know, misleading things about their, about their kid. Parent couldn't afford to go and, you know, do private assessments or any of that. So she's just kind of going along with what the district and doing the best she could in all these special day classes continually. Yeah. A child with off the charts IQ. Long story short, he gets to sophomore year. She finds me. We have the IEP. I do all the research. I have him privately assessed. The district funds an independent assessment. Comes back off the charts IQ. This child can't read, but it isn't because he isn't absolutely intellectually capable and super bright. The district told the parent, switch to alternate curriculum. It's too late. She was told it's too late to teach your child to read. Go to functional what? curriculum, graduate, you can go work at McDonald's, basically. And it's mind-boggling to me that nobody along the way was able to say, this child has dyslexia, and he clearly appears very smart, very capable. But, and of course, you can imagine the guilt that the parent is going through right now because she believed, you know, the hoodwink, basically. Right. And right. now doing everything we can and we're gonna get him in the bell in an intensive two year program, but he's a sophomore in high school. Wow. You know, wow. So There's a couple of things you mentioned that one, I'm I'm glad you brought up the value of teachers because you know, people look yeah. at things um in a in a pessimistic way depending on upon their their nature. And so it's always interesting to see how people respond to a diagnosis and the role that it plays with a child. So I know when we hear about the the schools not the districts not being the most cooperative, some people can tend to see the the, the worst in everything. So the acknowledgement that uh, the teachers are so huge, I think that's fantastic. You mentioned one other thing when you talked about the world, the world in which we live. You've been at this for 18 years on the front lines on behalf of families doing battle with school districts for families. How have you seen? Um, how has how has, have things changed for the better or for the worse over the last 18 years? And how have they changed for the better or for the worse now that we're in the age of COVID also? Oh, that is a loaded question. Um, <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you, in terms of evolving and, and progressing, I am not... I can't say we've come so far because if we had, I wouldn't have a job and my field wouldn't be growing. 
you know? Um, I think that more and more kids are getting more support, proper support, because of attorneys compelling it. That's my experience. That's, you know, in the, the microcosm that I'm in, I see entirely too much negligence and wrongdoing still. Mm -hmm. We have to go a long way, you know? We've moved a long way toward inclusion. There's a lot more opportunity and more mainstream programs being created and ensure, at least theoretically, that our kiddos are fully included or partially included to the extent that they can. Bring them out of the shadows to give them the same equal value as regular students. I have seen that change and the movement toward that. But I'm right. still seeing bureaucracy and you know the, the, the procedural component, the, the well-intended teachers and administrators whose hands are still tied because of budgetary constraints, you know, marching orders from the top. And the reality is, at the end of the day, I don't want to be pessimistic, a lot of it has to do with the numbers game, you know, and it's a cost-benefit right. analysis. And it's, right. the parents aren't screaming for more, why give them more, pay more? I mean, that sounds so pessimistic, but it's what I've seen. It's what I have seen, it's what I continue to see. And not to say we have enough progress, because we have, you know, since 1975 with the old handicapped we've come a long way right and the legislation is there and the law is there in order to, to mm. facilitate you know we're not lacking rights you know the rights are there it's just a matter mm -hmm. of properly invoking them and implementing them and and ensuring that you as a parent do everything you can to ensure that your children's rights are invoked right. oftentimes the information you know the clear transparency between parents and schools and how to maximize the child's potential and how to find the most appropriate, truly most appropriate placement and to individualize these programs for these kids, that is still lacking. It's still accommodating your child to the district's resources rather than the other way around. That right. is absolutely still happening. This might seem like an odd question. It's, this is, I'm asking for myself, out of curiosity, mm -hmm. but I know other parents out there that might wonder the same thing. And it might be out of your wheelhouse, although I know it's somewhat related. But if okay. it's, say a person decides they want to, you know what, I want to make change, I want to make a difference, and not just going to contribute by standing up for kids. But you know what, I want to start a school. Do you have any idea how somebody goes about doing something like that? And what kind, <laughs> what kind of daunting oh, no. matter is that? Good luck. Um, <laughs> it is not okay. in, I've right. had families me that say listen i've got the resources i've got the funding help me start a school i have a client right now who actually recently said can we do this i won't do right. it because obviously i don't have the time um right. in an ideal world there's such gaps that are missing programming that can still be created um but it is very difficult you know there's lots of procedure and bureaucracy and you know guidelines that have to be made it's it's not easy at all and then once you do get past, you know, all of the crowd to get there, maintaining it is also difficult right. to do. I've seen right. many schools fail. And, you know, there's a lot of room in, like, you know, I think that what needs to happen is that districts need to expand their programming to make them more tailored for the very differences that kids have because there's, there's usually this or this. No, a bunch of kids in the middle. What happens right. to those kids? For example, the LAUSD or really any district, 
significant dyslexia. They can't learn in a resource model where they're in regular educational day and they're pulled out for 30 minutes, missing instruction that they need and, you know, expected to come back in the classroom and pick right up and keep going. It's not right. feasible and science shows it, but there is no programming in most districts, for example, a classroom for children with dyslexia that are otherwise socially developing. The only options you have are specific learning disability classrooms where it's a gamut of kids with all kinds of disabilities with all different needs that are just bunched up in groups throughout the day depending on their levels. That doesn't work for a child that's typically developing with dyslexia. So right. that's what I'm talking about. There's so much programming that still has to be nuanced in order for families not to go outside the district and then have to go find private schools and then have to to the district for the you know for the funding. That's what I do 24-7 almost every single day because the programming wow. isn't there. So yeah, there is lots of room to create programming. I'd love for families that, you know, for funding to happen, for families to come together and be able to open schools, but right. um, it is extremely challenging to do and costly. And, you know, you do need to do a lot of fundraising, raising a lot of money because it, it's not cheap. And, you know, depending if it's a charter school, which there's a whole battle with getting those, um, it is definitely not an easy path to pursue. That's the other direction I wanted to go in. Um, I hope you're still there. Um, we lost her, John. I don't know we what have, happened. We may have lost her for a second. Yeah. I was, she was mentioning, she was going into an area that I was curious about because, you know, California, hopefully you'll be able to pull her back up. You know, we're in the, all in Southern California yeah. and our kids are in the Los Angeles Unified School District, which is a massive, massive school mm -hmm. district, one of the largest in the country. Right. And there's challenges at the school district level and there's challenges at the state level and every state, their educational programs are different state by state. And so, you know, families are dealing with these kinds of issues, you know, at every level. It's um, it, it's interesting to see. There's always a, a fight about breaking up the L.A. Unified School District. There's always a fight about, you know, the, what she's just talking about now, privatization and charter schools and, you know, the, the all the funding behind that. and and a re in an overhaul of the, our school systems, adding special needs programming is huge. Right, and you and I've talked about that. I've always like, it's a great idea. Like, you know, start a school, like, okay, you're financially independent and you have the financial wherewithal to do that. Uh, okay, still, what do you do and, what, and, and what's next? And how thick is the red tape that you have to cut through? And that's what made me ask that question because I know it's a, it's a great idea in theory, but I, I don't know much beyond well, that. And, and there are schools that have that are specific to children with learning disabilities and, you know, and and in some cases they're 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 social disabilities, but they're they're mostly learning disabilities and and other kinds of, um, you know, other kinds of, uh, of issues. There she is. She's back. There you um, go. We have some here and there you're back. We lost you for can a you second. Yes. Yeah. Can, can you see me? Uh, sorry about that. You, again, you're, What's that? I said, you, again, you're making this very easy. You're either reading my mind or you're starting down a road where I, uh, where I, no I, I thought I'm going. So you and I have been brought together and know each other. I've, I've said this from mm -hmm. special needs. I work with autism speaks and everything. And so I know what your passion is and, uh, as it relates to special needs. So talk a little bit, if you will, about the philanthropic stuff that you do lost her again she doesn't want right to talk to that. See, she doesn't want to talk to you i don't know yeah. what's going on. <laughs> well, 
Well, we'll 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 just keep going. I'm sure she's gonna come back. I just I, I don't know how that happened. I have no idea. But I, I will say, given our experience with uh, technical issues thus far, this is yeah, still yeah, probably yeah. a minor it's kind one. Of normal. Yeah, it's kind of normal. It's it, it's it's an improvement, just a half a cut above at the very least. But <laughs> but Georgiana is involved with. She sits on the board of uh, of Autism Speaks, but she right. also um, is uh, in charge of. And I don't know if she is the founder of it, but an organization called Shane's Inspiration. Yeah. And so, I, okay, there we go. Okay, your philanthropic and fundraising <laughs> endeavors. And if you could share some of those, I'm familiar with your work with Autism Speaks, but tell us a little bit about Shane's inspiration also, how that came about and um, all about it. So funny story. So we're no longer Shane's inspiration, although we are. Um, definitely Shane is our inspiration for, for the organization. Um, we've rebranded and our new name is Inclusion Matters by Shane and Shane's inspiration. We think that inclusion matters is more encompassing of our mission. And so um, funny story about inclusion matters, I was actually going to the park. You know, we are an organization that builds um, accessible playground for kids of all abilities. The premise is for all kids to play together. And so the parks are built in a way that are accessible, state-of-the-art accessible for all children. So children in wheelchairs, you know, children that have significant sensory type disabilities, including autism, the parks are built uh, to meet and fit those needs. And it's amazing. We've got 72 playgrounds all over the world. Our first is here in Los Angeles at Griffith Park. And my son didn't walk until he was over three years old. We were told he would likely never walk or talk. Um, a, a, you know, prognosis that I rejected from, from day one because I remember seeing a light in his eye and I'm like, mm, no, I, re I rejected it. And um, he started to walk at the age of three after starting at a typical little preschool for two months. This is why I always say that that proper environment of social, typically developing peers, that service models is so crucial because my son was motivated and inspired to do what the other kids were doing. Um, mm -hmm. I like to call his walking a little bit of a miracle because it, it was just something out of the clear blue sky. He just literally one day got up and walked. I keep Amazing. Amazing. And after we and told we're building our home they said build the house accessible build wheelchair you know wheelchair accessibility you can put in a, an elevator to make it easier for him he literally got up and walked one day like out of the clear blue sky and uh, but prior to him and we still went after but we would go to shane's inspiration at the time of the park and i would take him there because it was the one place that i didn't feel judged i didn't feel the snarkness or the stigma that you get from other parents as I'm sure you're extremely familiar with um, yes. and I felt there I felt included I felt like those are my people and nobody looked at me twice and my son got to roll around and play and do whatever because the park was built in a way that it had the spacing for him to do that and so a few years later a good friend of mine said I want to introduce you to this organization come to the gala with me and I was already serving one of the audiences before the directors at the time and I had been doing their gala and I went to to the Shane's Inspiration Now Included Matters Gala and fell in love with the organization, with the people. Like the organization has such heart um, and such meaning in their mission. So incredibly purposed for this. And I just knew this was my calling. And immediately they asked me to, to start chairing their galas, which I did for Autism Speaks. And I said yes really quick, not realizing how much work I was getting into. 
But ultimately, I loved it. I've loved it till today. I've been with them for six years. I chair their national, their annual gala every year, and it's always an incredible event. You know, it's it's really difficult now because obviously the COVID nineteen has impacted you know all nonprofits. It's impacting you know as it speaks, it's impact, impacting inclusion matters, and so you know we're looking for alternative ways to fundraise right now to make sure that we can keep going with our mission. But it's a really tough, tough time. You know, our major fundraising events have all been canceled for the year. And right. so, you know, we're, we're struggling, we're working hard to find alternative ways, but that is how I became involved. And, you know, it's amazing organization. It's not just about building playgrounds all over the world. It's about our inclusive education we have in 40 countries. And so it's about the mission of inclusion educationally and play. You know, those are the two ways that we can incorporate most into the play. Kids with disabilities is through education and play. Which is my and I absolutely love it. It's kind of how things go full circle in life because that is where I went to start with because I felt there was a place where I felt, you know, included with my kid. And all these years later, um, it's it's just really ironic how everything kind of came full circle for me. I, I actually have been to uh, to Aiden's place over there by mm -hmm. Veterans Park in Los Angeles. We're and Aiden's place. We are refurbishing it, and we're going to have the new grand opening of it soon. Fantastic! It's a great. It was such a great park, and I've been to Shane's inspiration, the one in, in Griffith Park as well. So, mm -hmm. amazing stuff! And and so people should know they should go to inclusionmatters.org and see the Absolutely. locations of Absolutely. all of these parks where there's a, where inclusion matters uh, has put yes. a stamp and on. If you go on, you also see that we're we're making a great effort right now to assist families virtually. So there's a lot of activities and a, you know a lot of different opportunities for kids to engage with our various virtual programs that we're implementing right now in the COVID, um, this COVID climate that we've got going on. Beautiful, wow. beautiful, wow. it's amazing. That's great. amazing. What I was going to ask, Sean started to ask you a question. I was going to ask you as we're going through all of this, and I know we're almost getting to the to the end of our time together. But but talking about COVID and coronavirus, I don't know if we had a chance to do that. How does that what 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 are what are families doing now uh, with the homeschooling and for, for and and how has that changed for you and the practice that you are incorporating yes. in, in supporting these families? I'm so glad you brought that up because this is such important information. Um, and a quick plug: I'm going to be doing a speakup.org webinar tomorrow at five o'clock. We're going to really dive into um, COVID nineteen closure and the responsibility of school districts because again. Families are not being told the whole truth. You know, these IEP meetings, I've been doing back-to-back -back meetings since April now. And do not be told that your IEP meet, do not allow them to tell you that your IEP meeting can't be held or it has to be postponed. Absolutely not. Federal law still applies. The Department of Education was very clear in their mandate um, for the guidelines for COVID. So was the California Department of Education. That IDEA are, you know, Bible in terms of special education law. Um, continues. None of those timelines are suspended, even though some districts are sadly mis, you know, misunderstanding that or choosing not to understand it. But IEPs have to continue via Zoom, and services need to continue via Zoom. Parents who were not provided, you know, support last semester, whether it's related services or instruction, are absolutely owed compensatory relief, which means that time has to be made up. There's a misconception that because the district didn't engage in, you know, unreasonable delay in providing services, they couldn't help because of the pandemic, so they think that gives them a pass. It doesn't. 
The fact is your child did not receive a free appropriate public education for whatever reason, which means those services are still owed. The regression didn't stop. You know, a lot of districts are starting to read a statement at the beginning of IEP meeting saying, just because we had the closure and because students weren't provided instruction and related services doesn't mean they regressed. Really? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and they're wow. asking to sign waivers. They're asking families to agree oh to suspend the IEP and implement distance learning programs instead. And I always say to families, your distance learning program is your IEP. There is no substitute. And so the, con the instruction has to continue to the best of their ability in you know, employing reasonable efforts. Your child's IEP still has to be applied. And whatever services you were not provided last semester, you are still owed and have every right to pursue demand. And families right. are being told, no, that's a thing of the past, moving on. Absolutely not. I hope that you'll share uh, your the 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 meetup uh, with us. On yeah. a, you know, put it on the on the Facebook so we can post it and we can talk about it. We'll help promote that. Absolutely. I think families need to know what's happening and, and the what fact that it? you're providing that services. The, the address is it's speakup.org. You know, it's uh, if you go to the Facebook page, Speak Up uh, Parents. Dot org. But if you go to Speak Up on Facebook, you'll see it on there. Speak Up Parents. Um, they're okay. an organization that um, tries to, uh, you know, work hand in hand with the LAUSD in support of special needs families. Um, mm -hmm. But um, and they're advocating for families, and are, you know, we're trying to get information out there as much as we can because during this COVID nineteen closure, families are being misled. Um, you know, one major thing I want to tell families is there are kids that cannot distance learn. There are kids, it's not feasible. And the wording that's used in guidelines is visibility. A lot of these kids can't learn through distance learning. And so there are carved exceptions by the California Department of Education that permit ABA therapists, speech and language therapists, OT therapists to come to the home, even teachers. There is clear guidance and permissibility as essential health workers that are permitted to come to the home. The permission is there, the authority is there, districts are denying it, not all of them. I can tell you that my child, I like using myself as an example, has his one aid at home every day that his school granted because it's what was appropriate for him to distance. He cannot distance learn without that support. Many kids cannot. And the language clearly says that in-person support is permitted. Sadly, many districts are just blanketly saying, no, that's sure. illegal. It's every individualized program for every unique student with an IEP. Every student has to be analyzed based on their unique profile without applying some blanket rule to all of them because there is permissibility to help these kids at home. Hopefully soon we're going to see, you know, LA County um, just gave the green light, I think August 24th and again September 4th for um, schools in LA County are permitted now to create small cohorts of at least 10 special ed students in physical schools. So that has not been permitted. Sadly, not all districts are following suit um, and, and doing it. At least we've got a glimmer of hope that we're moving in that direction where at least our most vulnerable students are gonna be permitted if the parents choose um, gotcha. to come back to school with the teachers that are also opting to teach them. Okay. It's now good I to know parents need to inquire and, and ask your administrators, you know, what, because there's, there's not a lot of great communication going on between districts and parents right now. I'm sure, I'm you sure. You need to want to inquire, you need to call, you need to ask, because if you sit home waiting for that phone call, it ain't coming. I can not gonna happen. That. Right, right. So that, that addresses kind of where we are. 
Now, I know you to be fearless, but I still want to make sure that I'm not asking questions that get you in trouble or hot water. But I have to ask, because Brian was mentioning when you... <laughs> Brian was asking when you when you when the technology had you leave us for a second there we were talking about for people that may be watching that are not in our area we are in Los Angeles County and LA Unified is one huge district the bigger the district the bigger the challenges you know what are some of the things that you might suggest if it were up to you with regard to making that machine run just a little smoother and making sure that kids get what they need. It's a, it, it's a, I know it's another loaded question. There's a lot of red tape, but Most what people ask you how to cure cancer? <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, it is daunting because it's a massive district. They've got um, over 750,000 students. And I want to say now close to 80, 90,000 students with IEPs, if not more. So wow. it, it is an extremely daunting mission for them. Mm -hmm. However, sadly, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a union in the middle. And so there are interests that are being pursued that aren't necessary child, necessarily child-centered, especially when it comes to children with IEPs. LA County has not given the okay for all children to return to school. However, right. it has be okay to permit small cohorts for kids that are most impacted acute illnesses and disabilities and so there is no reason given that we've been going through this now what seven months that the, yeah. a plan should already be in place to at the very least bring these kids back to school the fact that they've not done it yet even though i believe that all the tools are in place for them to do it tells me there are bigger reasons in play than the of let's get back to school and get the help they need because our kids are devolving daily. Right. It is dire straits for these families and these kids. And these are skills that aren't going to be regained or relearned. These kids have a window and a lot of kids can't sustain not having what they need right now for too much longer, if at all. And so the mechanism is in place. I truly believe that it is absolutely feasible and doable, but you've got powers at play that are preventing it, which is what enrages me. Because certain ideologies, you know, certain agendas, sure, pursue them all you like on your own time. That has nothing to do with getting kids back to school safely. And that's what enrages me is I don't want to make things political. But when you are inserting a political conversation as a contingent, that is infuriating because that has nothing to do with getting kids back to school. Will say we, at the very least, the special ed kids that have been permitted, you've got the light to do it. Don't tell me you're not ready to have stuff to do when it's been how long and you were ready to start school back before the governor's can go back? Right. Unacceptable to me. What are your, your thoughts on the pros and cons of doing something like. And mind you, these are. You know, apparently, you know that these are choices that are being made. These aren't. Right. Right. What are your thoughts on the pros and cons of breaking up the district and how difficult is something like that to be done? I didn't get your, your last part. You broke up. Oh, okay. Sorry about Wow. Lost her again. Just one more time. Jeez. With, with, with about time. five minutes left. Well, we have five minutes left to, uh, yeah. to wrap this up. Yeah, we'll get it back. Be the, the, last, the last question. We might, we might have to save it, but I think 
even with her coming back the next five minutes, I, I think you'd agree that it's probably a good idea to have her come back and uh, join us for another conversation, period. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's great that, uh, you know, I wish I had an advocate like Georgiana, you know, we were going through a redo. And I mean, luckily, Jordan's mom was a lawyer and she had resources. And so I felt like I had, you know, some <laughs> battle warriors on my side. Yeah, right. But, right, uh, right. I would love to have had a Georgiana on my side when I was going through what we were all going through as a family. Yeah. We've, we have her there. She's back. Are you there? Can you, can you guys hear Yeah, we can hear We can hear you. You came back just in time. We've got about five minutes left. And I was asking you before we went out, I don't know how tough it is to answer this with the tight window we have, but your thoughts on the pros and cons of breaking up the district. I can hear you, I yes. I'm not sure why you're talking. Okay, sure. Sean, ask again. Oh, I was saying, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> we've improved the technology and we've completely destroyed the technology at the same time. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, and there was a there was a little window where I was frozen out for a little bit too. You know, yeah, there's so I, many people on on the internet and on Wi-Fi on and everything. Man, we've just taxed out the system. It's 2020, isn't it? For crying out loud, we should have better technology in our we cities than what we're to. what we're yeah. dealing with. This it really is crazy. Well, she's oh, she coming up for the last five minutes. Okay, here she comes. All right. Okay, I'm back again. <laughs> I was asking you really quick the last Sorry, question. Dropping me. The pros and cons of breaking up the district. The powers that be, you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Right, right. Have you caught up with us yet? She's there, but it's frozen on our end. We may have frozen. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, at least she hasn't gone yet. Well, if we get it, I think we can We can. We the can pros wrap. and cons of it? Oh, there of she breaking is. up the yeah, district? She's back. Yeah. Yes. There we go. Because you're coming in a little. Oh my gosh! Are you serious? It's so funny. It's sort of like asking. And now the most important question of the hour. Yes, I've saved the best for last. <laughs> hey, we're live. That's what happens. Right? Nothing's changed here. Yeah. Uh, just fascinating fascinating conversation she's uh talking about the things that most families don't even who don't have children on the on you know learning disabilities have no idea these are the kinds of things that we deal with right um, and i'm compelled I, I keep feeling like changing. did i miss anything you know i want to make sure that we're adding as much value for people as we can are you there can you can you hear me now <laughs> yes now i can hear you we can hear you the okay, pros and cons can right? see me? we can yes. see you okay i'm back <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening. No. But your question, I think, was the pros and cons for breaking up the district? Correct. You guys are frozen now. We'll come back because oh, we're hanging out. Can you hear me? So your question was the pros and cons? The LA mm -hmm. D? No pros. Absolutely. 100%. It's the problem. It's too big. 
I think she said we should break up the district. I think that's what she was saying. Yeah, she said that, and then she did. We should break it up. Yes. Yeah, I think I think you know, and, and I think this is one of those challenges, right? People don't realize that teachers, administrators, and parents—it's a—it's really—it's kind of like the executive branch, judicial branch, right? And the, uh, you, you know, that there's and the congressional branch, right? There's there's three axes here that that we're required to come together to make things work in the school district, in the school system, and and sometimes the administrators are more focused on money coming in, and teachers are trying to educate their kids, and parents want the best for their kids. So, they have a large district and they're dealing with money issues and financial restrictions. The administrators try to tie the hands of the teachers and restrict what parents can get access to. And when you have right. a large district, it, it becomes un, so cumbersome that they can't really can't really take care of students properly. It's almost untenable. It Absolutely. is untenable. Yes. Agreed. In, in my opinion, break it up into four different districts. There's no yeah. doubt this district is so big. There's so many demands. And so many competing interests, you know. And it grows, doesn't it? Continue to grow too, then? Well, yes, no, because you know, there's a there's a competition with charter schools, so there's that struggle, which is one of the unions. Some of the beef of the unions is of the union is that they want to shut down charter schools because more and more parents are, you know, um, immigrating over to to um, charter, charter schools, schools. Okay. and so you are seeing actually a decline um, right. still a huge district and wow. like I said, many competing interests and bureaucracy wise, it's massive. I mean, I can tell you that even what I see in the special education appellate department, you know, in, in, in the due process component of things, you know, once you have an IEP, you disagree with the district, you file your complaint and you're now in the process proceedings for the LAOC. And then there, are the balls that get dropped, you know, the amount of money that gets spent on private school tuition for kids with IEPs, because the district does something as as negligible as not contacting a family for their annual IEP meeting because they're in private school. Right. Drops that ball, parents file their due process complaint, they get the tuition for the year. Even when the district does have a feasible argument of an appropriate placement, it's an automatic reimbursement because you fail to meet the annual IEP timeline. And this is what parents need to know also, just because you are in private school does not mean that the district does not have an obligation to find you every year and offer you your IEP meeting, offer you place. If you disagree, then you can go ahead and file due process and pursue your tuition reimbursement. But oftentimes the district, they spend millions of dollars, I'm here to tell you, on private school tuition because they're so big. They can't, they, you would think they would have like just an office dedicated to contacting families in private school. You know, put on yeah. an alarm system, whatever it is you need to do, but something as simple as that, they're bleeding money because wow. they're too big to manage it. Or, wow. you know, it's too, they're too, you know, it's, it, I guess it's so large the incompetency uh, is seeping through the walls because wow. it's so big to manage. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're just at, um, at our hour and despite the technical difficulties, we want to thank you so much for being with us today. We directly talk to families it's my pleasure thank you so it's much awesome. and you're you're only our second guest so this this is a new entity in and of itself so thank well, you I'm so much. thank you for having me and i'll talk to you guys soon all right thank you thank so you, much thank you georgiana that's amazing okay. thank bye. you so much bye-bye all right bye-bye that was awesome sean that was great I, that really was great i i, I never find, i mean people who know me know that i don't sit for minutes without 
saying anything. So the fact that it was so <laughs> so compelling uh, that I just yeah. sat there listening, taking it all in. I thought that that was uh, yeah, that yeah. was incredible. That was great. And I and I think we'll we should include Georgiana in our you know in our sort of a, as we start to build a resource guide of places to go and 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 folks whose services are needed. We can start to build a just two dads resources guide where we include Georgiana. Definitely, definitely. I want to send a big thanks to Sean Hall for being our unofficial producer and making sure that uh, everything is monitored and posted there in the chat. I want to thank everyone yeah. that took the time to tune in. Um, as you see, the technology is getting better, so so are we. Uh, we thank you for tuning in with us. And um, be sure to you know let us know about any kind of topics or anything that you might want to hear about. Um, we're always open to that. And again, as always, remember that there's somebody out there someplace that really needs your prayers. There's somebody out there someplace that is looking for a better way in this world. There's somebody out there someplace that wants to be heard. So everybody remember that. I want to personally thank as a parent and warrior, my partner in Thrive at Home, my wife, Laura, um, and Brian, I want to thank you. This is just such a pleasure and a gift. Thank you everybody for joining us. I love it. Thank you too, Sean. It's amazing. Right. Amazing stuff. Take care. Beautiful, right. buddy. Love Thanks. you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye -bye. Thanks everybody. All right. Let me see. Bye bye.